everybody this is we've got to talk about and i'm caitlin and i'm maya we got a lot to talk about in the interest of being better and doing better there's so much we got to unpack first we wanted to start this podcast as a space to learn and discuss things that are not often talked about in our communities or that we didn't feel we had an authority to speak on because we've often been in white or male-dominated spaces so we're gonna just do a quick intro right now and we're gonna talk about me and Caitlin's lives, backgrounds, how we met, and then we're gonna do a couple little discussion deep dives um, just so you guys can get a feel for this podcast. All right, so I'm gonna get started, you guys. Again, my name is Caitlin, and I live in the Bay Area, in specifically San Jose, California, and I am 27, and I'm just gonna give you guys a little background on me so you understand kind of my perspective when we go into further discussions. Um, I'm an only child that grew up in a two-parent black home and um, I grew up on a military base in Southern California. So Maya and I were actually just talking about our perspectives on things because of where we grew up and what we were taught. and that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm coming from this idealistic viewpoint of the education that was given to me growing up. And I'm trying to break that down and re-educate myself on the real stuff that went down in history. And moving forward, just connect more with the black culture and community because I definitely feel like these last few years I've missed out on that. But basically that's it. I'm very opinionated and passionate. You're definitely gonna hear that when we talk about things. Um, but I just want to help educate people and educate myself and just keep this conversation moving forward. And this will be a great opportunity for all of us to share these ideas. And I think you're really going to enjoy what we got to say. And now I'll give it to Maya for a little bit about herself. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I'm Maya. I am 24. I'm a mixed race, multi-ethnic, first generation American. Um, I was born in New Jersey. My parents are Indian and Dominican. Uh, I moved to California when I was about 10, and I lived in San Diego, so I've lived here most of my life. Um, lived in San Diego until I was 18, and then I went to school in the Bay Area at San Jose State. Um, and I have a very unique perspective being a first-generation American, and also having a lot of different aspects to my identity. Um, and I feel like I don't really express all of those perspectives to a lot of people and people tend to know like one side of me so I kind of am hoping that this will give people more of like a complete picture of who I am. Um, We'll give you guys a little background information too on how we met. If you've noticed that I said I live in San Jose and Maya moved here. We met at San Jose State years ago. We actually met because of the Greek life at San Jose State and you'll definitely hear us dive a little bit more into our experiences with that, how we feel about that culture, what we think of it now, what we thought of it back then, and just kind of our evolution. But that is how we met. That is how we became friends. Um, We shared mutual friends all throughout college and we've definitely kept in contact after the fact as women in this crazy ass world yeah and we definitely always just have a lot of good conversations when we get together we're always just talking about different subjects and this just was a great idea for us to do together so super looking forward to you guys experiencing our relationship and uh kick off this intro episode answering these two questions we found them as i was perusing through twitter Um, There is this reporter named Taylor Rooks who works for Bleacher Report, and she's doing a long-form discussion on YouTube, a series um, in regards specifically to black and brown athletes and asking them these two questions. Um, So the first question we're going to talk about 
is when did you realize being black was different than being white? When did I realize being black was different than being white? Um, it happened at a really young age, unfortunately for me. I think I was about four or five years old. And this occurred in Dallas, Texas, um, where I grew up for a few years before I moved to California. And it was at a daycare center. And it was just the fact that my mom was walking up to pick me up, I believe, and me and a kid were looking out the window. And this white kid was like asking me why my mom was so much lighter than me and like how that kind of worked and made sense. And that for me was the first time I had ever realized, oh snap, like our blacks, not just my black is different from white, but like my black is different from my own mm -hmm. mother's black, which of course is different from my dad's. Um, and for those of you guys who don't know me that my dad is darker and my mom is lighter she's lighter covered in freckles and I'm like perfectly in the middle of both of them um but for to be a kid that young having that question asked and not having an answer I wish I could remember my response I don't but I just know that that day I did go home to my mom sat in her lap and we had a discussion about it and me and her just brought that up actually a week or two ago where I asked her if he, she remembered us having that moment and she did and she was kind of taken aback by the fact that it did happen so young like I don't even believe I was in kindergarten yet and wow. we were having this conversation about you know not only is black not white and you don't you know but yeah our blacks are also different because my parents look this way and you're you know so yeah, yeah. and and ever since then I think it's just always been on the forefront of my mind of just always noticing when I'm the only black person in the room in the classroom at the bar like mm -hmm. at a restaurant like those things are just always on the forefront of my mind and because that's just been our environment I guess growing up as well yeah so yeah and that that for me kind of just started I think racial viewpoints because mm -hmm. I don't know about other people but my parents tried really hard to be like the man in the red shirt you know instead of saying the white guy in the red shirt oh, like wow. they wanted like they physically, mentally took it upon themselves to like actively instill in me. Like we're not gonna point people out by Based race. We're race. gonna point them out by different identifiers. And I don't know how many people think about that when raising their kids. You know. And I also like I don't know if that's better or worse. Like right. Because then you kind of almost think of yourself as like, oh, I'm not black. I'm just this person, like Caitlyn. I'm of just thing. a girl. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. And it took, it, it took me, I would, and now that you say that, it's interesting because I was just thinking about when did it take me a point to realize like I am a black woman mm -hmm. and like that I identified as that. And I really don't think I had that moment until I was in college wow. because of our environment, because of just, you know, the Greek life and of just like embracing it. Right. Like I was the only black girl in my pledge class. I was the only black girl on my all girls floor. I was yeah. the only black girl that lived in the house. Like mm -hmm. it was just always oh, just a true. thing of me knowing, you know, like it's just me, yeah. you know, but it is, I mean, I don't know. It's fine. But yeah, so that, that's my answer for that question is I was a four year old kid in daycare in Dallas, Texas being asked why my mixed blackness was not as the same as, as my mother's black, yeah. white blackness i don't know how to word that better but yeah so maya's gonna answer too that's so interesting yeah and we've talked about how like we were always because we grew up in such white neighborhoods and, like in the suburbs that we were always the first of something like the first black person in this class or like the only black person on our floor things like that um yeah so for me i i don't know like I'm half Dominican and so my perception of blackness was always really different and like I didn't ever think that that was a part of my identity because Dominicans don't 
acknowledge that they're black, even though most, like, 90% of them are either black or Afro-descendant, basically. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. And so, like, my mom never taught us that and was never like, oh, yeah, like, I'm a mixed-race black woman because she doesn't think that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my dad is a fairly lighter Indian. I'm actually the darkest person in my family other than my little sister. Um, And that's mostly because she, like, grew up in San Diego. But I'm definitely, like, the darkest one naturally. And so I remember telling my mom, like, just a few days ago when we were walking that I remember being in school and kids being like, oh, like, your skin is, like, the color of poop. Like, that's what they equated it to. Yeah. Which I was like, okay. And I told her, I was like, even when I was a little kid, I just, like, looked at myself and I was like, this is beautiful. I mean, you're see-through and I can see, like, your blue veins. And so I just always thought it was so weird because I was like, I don't see any problem with that. Like, this brown is really pretty. Like, this is a beautiful color. Like, it's got a nice reddish tone. I've always been a very visual person. So I was like, when I just look at my skin and then your skin, I don't see anything wrong with mine. But you're, like, like, touching touch and glow so yeah and if you want to call my skin poop are you saying that i look like shit like does my skin look like Like it doesn't no it doesn't (laughs) that's just the best you could do because the first thing that came to your mind of brown was yeah thank you okay that's telling you know it's very telling of like what kind of house did you grow up in that that's like what you equate the color brown to because i remember being a kid and I always, like, make fun of my mom for wearing brown because I was like, why are you wearing brown when you're already brown? Like, then you're going to look naked. <laughs> I also, like, noticed it now more recently because of, like, Current racism climate. is being actually talked about <laughs> by everybody. For the first time in forever. Yeah. Forever. And my mom was like, I've been making my mom read um, because I think it's really mm. important for her as being of the first people that were colonized in the Americas to, like, talk about these things because she doesn't even know, like, her own history, let alone U.S. history. And so I, I was reading with her and when we, we go on walks, like with the dog and we discuss things. And the other day she said to me, she was like, I just now realized that if I grew up in this country, I think I would think that I'm black and that I'm like a mixed race person. And I was like, wow, because I've always thought, like I've looked at my grandfather and his whole family and I'm like, you guys are very clearly black, but that's because I grew up here around a lot of black people. Right. And so I always, like, knew what that looked like and also that there was a difference in every person's blackness. Like, I've never thought of blackness as a monolith. Like, I've never seen a black person and been like, oh, you're just like this other black... No, like, every single person is unique, regardless of their race. And so, like, I always understood that as a concept. Mm -hmm. And in the Dominican Republic, they have Haiti on the other side. And so they think, like, oh, dark-skinned people with, like, 4C hair is the only kind of black that exists. Right. And I'm like, okay, just because y'all have, like, 3C makes you different and, like, your skin's a little bit lighter. Barely. Yeah. Barely. Yeah. So that That's too. so interesting. Because you know what? I think now that you say that, I'm trying to think about growing up and I just think about middle school and how I did have black girlfriends. Like, I grew I grew up in a group of black people. Mm-hmm. But, like, the bra- it was, like, kind of the older kids were black that I hung out with. But big kids my age, there wasn't that many of us, I guess. Yeah. And I just remember thinking all of us had different hair. Mm-hmm. Like I grew up straightening the crap out of my hair. I pressed my hair every two weeks. I had a standing appointment. Like my mom was always like, my baby's hair is going to be pressed <laughs> and look good. And if it's not pressed, it's going to be in braids. Um, I think we relaxed my hair once when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And then we never did it again because we were like, nope, we're mm-hmm. not doing this. Not like, I've got some good hair. 
Um, I do have European and Indian in my DNA. So I think I got a little bit blessed. I have 4C hair, but it's not like unmanageable 4C hair. It's just I still think thick. 4C hair is so beautiful though. It is. It's I do understand that it's difficult to manage though. It's so difficult. Like every time I go to a new hairstylist, they're just like, oh my God. And I'm like, you know what? It's really not that bad when you get in there, I promise <laughs> you. But that's because I, I don't have like just straight up black hair. They're but also not trying girl, to do black hair anyway, so when I had to get my hair chopped off that was a woman who is black herself who never had to deal with 4C hair and had to just cut it off because she didn't know what she was doing yeah but I remember my girlfriends always being upset with their hair because their hair was not my hair like mm -hmm. they couldn't press it because it wouldn't even be long enough to be in a ponytail or a bun you know and their moms did relax it all the time so their hair was damaged and brittle and yeah. like there really wasn't a lot they could do with it and like here I am mm -hmm. a black friend with like shoulder length black straight hair all the time or in braids so at mm -hmm. least you know and just like the stigma of, of like presenting yourself as a black woman with this straight hair I know Sanal Lathan has a whole movie about hair and she like chops it off and like has this whole journey I haven't mm -hmm. watched it I, I know I should but like I don't know that was always a thing for me like being so jealous of white girls and Asian girls who got to just shower shampoo condition their hair and like blow it out Girl, and I'm Asian, be about I'm their I day. still was jealous. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, shoot. Like, why? I used to always be so upset. I remember when I was super like, okay, God gave us these things. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, God, but why did you give us such crazy ass hair? Why is it that the white folks and other people who aren't black, their hair is so much easier to manage than ours. It's either curly or straight, but at least you can, you know, I don't know, it's just so much easier to deal with their hair. And in ours, we need, you know, five products to get through the day just to keep it how you want it styled. And I'm like, they used to always be a thing for me. And I just, mm -hmm. and that was as a kid. And it was with hair. Hair for me, like, before, like after that kid pointing out skin tone, it was hair. Yeah. Like being super freaking jealous of white girl's hair while I had some black friends who were probably jealous of the fact that my hair was manageable, you know? And like, I could do, it's so interesting. It's just weird. in perspective, doesn't it? perspective always mm -hmm. especially thinking about it as an adult too like those are the things that shape our viewpoints yeah. now and so I think about my hair so differently like I would have mm -hmm. never worn my hair natural before the age of 18. I never would have like and because I had to because of college you know just adjusting with mm -hmm. not having you know whatever yeah embracing it and so our second question is gonna be what does America in quotes mean to you in quotes it's in quotes let's please point that out <laughs> And I thought this question was so interesting and I knew me and Maya would be able to delve into this on different levels because America definitely means completely different things to Maya and I both, I believe, but it means the same thing at the same time. It's, I guess we'll explain it soon, <laughs> but because for me, me and Maya were just talking about this, you guys, before we started recording and it was just how, um, I grew up being super invested in us history, like in school, mm -hmm. that was the one history I didn't care about world history I don't care about Mesopotamia I don't want to learn about you know all, like I just didn't care but I like as soon as you put I could not oh my god I was praying I was like let's be done with sixth grade history so I do not have to learn about the ancient civilizations and like saying that out loud now as an adult who's like completely aware like I should have been itching to know everything I possibly could about these civilizations and all I care about was American history it was I the only thing that like stuck in my head 
and I was like super lit to go to the eighth grade trip to DC. <laughs> I lived my best life on that trip. Many things happened in formative years on that trip. Like it's always ingrained in my head. But then you get older. And I remember telling Maya earlier, like Lincoln was my favorite president as a kid until I actually really learned about the Civil War. And I actually learned about the Union, Confederacy, North versus South. And I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> the people that are, you're taught to put all your heroism yeah. into because they freed your ancestors. It's like, yeah, but that was a money issue. It wasn't a morality issue. It wasn't a right and wrong. It was literally what's the best thing for this country to prosper and like give back to what we need it to do. What's and the best thing that for was really white it. people to prosper in this country? For the colonizers. It literally had nothing to do with the fact that it's just wrong to enslave anyone. But, you know, whatever. So now, and a little for background, I grew up on a military base. My dad's a retired Marine, so I was always very patriotic. Fourth of July was my favorite holiday because on our military base, we did a summer bash. They brought in rides. It was like the one time during the summer that everybody got to kind of get together before, you know, you have another month before school starts. It was just always this event that like was cemented in me. Like Fourth of July was like that, mm -hmm. that bitch. <laughs> and then, and it's funny because I always knew about Juneteenth, but my family didn't personally like celebrate Juneteenth. It was like, we recognized it as like, hey, today. And, you know, and and my parents grew up in Dallas, so Texas history is a mandatory class for you to take throughout your education in Texas. Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, but anyway, basically for America for me now, so America for me as a kid, I was like, it's this great, diverse melting pot. All the opportunity is here. Like, screw the rest of the world. America <laughs> is it. Like, you know, Olympics came around. Like, your girl, Summer Olympics, I am there. I am USA all the way. Like, I was just, that was my life. And then I became an adult. I went to college. I went to the Bay Area, which just is like the most diverse area. If you've never been in the Bay Area and you really don't know, I was a culture shock 101 is coming to the Bay Area yeah. if you've never been here before. Um, and I realized, yes, America is a diverse melting pot. Yes, the illusion of opportunity is very real for a lot of people in the scheme of small business or that one hit wonder kind of luck of the draw thing. But in reality, America is a corporation mm -hmm. that does not care about anybody but itself and its pockets and international relations. And we're just here to make it thrive with little to no at any expense, really. Reward, yeah, at the expense of our mental and physical well-being of working 40-hour-plus work weeks for major corporations who can't even be prepared for COVID. You're telling me you guys are multi-million, billion-dollar corporations and no one had a safety net of funds for a pandemic? We expect our government to be prepared for one, but not, like, private sector. It doesn't make sense to me. It makes no sense. So that's what America is to me. As an adult, I'm very much aware America is a business. This is a corporation. The taxes you pay, being forced to get tags and registration for your cars. Like, mm -hmm. it's all a scheme that should not even be a thing for us. Like, we should not have to pay to travel freely within this country. But yet, the that's DMV so makes a lot of freaking money off of registration and Wow, I didn't even tags. think of that. Yeah, like, you're traveling freely. You're not you're not engaging in business in your car unless you're just business. like driving around just to do like yes. normal everyday things. You're traveling. That's the, like the key word. And we'll get into that later because oh, I could tell you all a whole bunch of stuff about that. Ooh, I, I can't wait to hear about this because oh, I yeah. didn't even think about that ever. Yeah. And and we do these things because we're taught to do them. You know, mm -hmm. we are conditioned as Americans that 
you enjoy your childhood because you have parents who are taking care of you and then mm. as soon as you hit 18 you go to college you get a degree you have fun because that's the last time you're really gonna have fun <laughs> you know and then if you want more than one degree best of luck to you and then if not you either get a degree or you don't and you're in the real world and all you're doing is paying bills like, I don't know about you, but I wake up and I still feel 17 every day. I'm like, I don't know how I'm 27 because I just feel like a teenager with the responsibilities of an, of adult. an adult. I don't feel like, Ugh. you know, like I yeah. just feel because I didn't expect the real world to be like this. You know, and I also love didn't to tell expect you... me to be this way in the real world, like so yes. ill-equipped. Yes. And it's wild because you definitely understand when people are like, we don't need geometry. You know, I would have mm -hmm. loved for someone to give me a tax class or a credit class. I would have loved like, no matter how much information your parents give you to just like be financially responsible, to actually have the like physical, like to have a book that would literally talk to me about credit and debt and what it means and APR fees. Like there's so many things you learn cause you just navigate life and like yeah. you get a credit card and you get a loan and whatever. But the system of even that, of getting a loan, the system of banks in America, like when we, like we're old enough, me and Maya, we've lived through the two recessions this country has seen That's in the true. last 20 years. Like I've seen my parents go through financial hardships. I've seen them prosper, mm -hmm. you know, like. Oh yeah, our parents are living big nowadays. Nowadays, and it was a struggle to get here mm -hmm. after 30 plus years, you know what I'm saying? Like now they're finally, I feel like living the life that they deserve to live. And also my parents had to move to Florida for that. They couldn't still do that in California. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know, but that's what America is to me now. America to me is just a well-run oiled corporation that screws over its employees on a daily basis and only protects those that have three commas after their name. Ooh. Like that's, that's what it is. Yeah. And I, I feel really bad that as a kid, I wasn't more educated and more, didn't do more research to not be so naive and ignorant to the real world. Yeah. Like, but like I was saying before, uh, like, how are you supposed to go out and find that information on your own? If like your parents were also taught the exact same thing that you were. Because your parents don't learn it until it happens to them. Exactly. And that's how people get that information is like your parents go through. And that was my upbringing. My parents told me stories of like, you know, fearful of people coming to get the car, or, you know, having debt, just trying to get out of it, even in the mm -hmm. military. Like my dad is fighting for this country and yet him and my mom are having financial hardships and they only have one child. Like I can't even imagine families of five who think that they're actually, you know, yeah. who think like you're, you're like, it's just crazy. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's mm, America. America. <laughs> America. Yeah. And what about you, Maya, though? What does it mean to you? Um, I have an interesting view of America because I always thought of it as like a place where I live, but I'm not from. Because mm. I always mm -hmm. knew, like, growing up, that like my parents weren't from here and that right. we were kind of looked at as like not being American. And mm -hmm. even now, like, and I'm sure you get this all the time too, where people like ask you where you're from. And so I'll always be like, oh, I'm from San Diego when I was in the Bay. And people are like, no, but where are you really from? And I'd be like, oh, well, I'm from Jersey actually. Like that's where I was really born. And it mm -hmm. makes people so upset because they really just want to know my ethnicity because they don't think that I'm from here. And I've gotten this question, like this isn't a new thing that I've come no. across as an adult. Like this has been happening to me since I could speak people have been yeah. asking me like oh like where are you from and i'm like i'm from here um, and they're like no but i want to know and they don't even know how to ask you because they're trying to be so pc about it yeah it's like, well and people you ask me like... like sorry go ahead no no just like you want to ask me what my ethnicity is but you don't know how to say that without just saying 
oh, I'm just curious, like, yeah. what's your DNA? <laughs> like, yeah, I because some people are curious about your ethnicity and, like, your actual ethnic background. Yes. And some people just want to know what race you are so that they can put you into a box. Yes, because ethnicity is not nationality. And it's not race. It's not race. And, like, there's just, there's so many different boxes, like you just mm-hmm. said, that people want to try to put you in. And yeah. it's like... Well, I'm not the one. It's not me. (laughs) I mean, I used to yell at friends growing up where they want, I'd be like, you want to claim you're German and Russian and Italian and all these things. I'm like, honey, you are white. Like you are (laughs) Caucasian. You came from colonizers. Like you're a white American whose family has been here for how many generations? You're a white American. That's it. Right. And, you know, and I'm actually starting to be told that white people think being referred to as Caucasian is like rude, which I didn't know was a thing because I'm just like, but I mean, you know, it says white slash Caucasian when you fill out forms mm-hmm. and tests and stuff. It's like, it's like ours is African-American slash black. Like, even though I didn't like, think... you're not African-American. Right. I'm black. I am a <laughs> yeah. black American. I have never seen Africa. I've never touched it. I've literally only seen it and it's disproportionately wrong size on a map. And that is a whole other topic for a different day. The map, you know, um, the map y'all love and know we the could world. Do a whole, we could do a whole geography Not lesson. Not accurate. We will yeah. give y'all geography. Believe me, you guys. You're, mm, y'all going to be tuning into a whole plethora of just <laughs> random. It's just going to be a class. <laughs> but back on topic. Yeah, and, okay. So uh, yeah, anyway, so America I always, for you. I always just knew that like it was a place where I lived but wasn't from. Um, yes. And I've always Immigrant been made mentality. to feel. Immigrant mentality. Strong. I've always been made to feel like, you know you're not really from here right because everyone's always questioning it and i'm like this is mm-hmm. the only country i've ever lived in it's the it's only all country you know. that i know mm-hmm. um and so growing up it was just like a little bit weird for me and i definitely have have had and still kind of have identity issues which like would make sense um if you had as many identities as i did um so it was always kind of difficult for me but i was taught like especially from my dad's side because in india like women basically don't have any rights Mm -hmm. um it's really hard for them to like achieve a lot of things there's like a really really like if you think rape culture here is bad like Mm. it's Mm. i don't even want to yeah so much worse Mm -hmm. in india and so my dad like having three girls always would like harp into us and be like you guys are so lucky that you were born here because you can actually like have rights you can wear whatever you want you can go to whatever school we put you in um like you can speak outside of your house and like actually talk back to people and like not feel like you're gonna be killed for it or something Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of always like i thought it was weird because he would always be like oh you guys are lucky you're american and would always tell us that we were american and not indian because we're not from india and then like americans would be like oh but you're not american because like you're not from here so america was always really confusing (laughs) for me (laughs) Um, but then I grew up and I also kind of think of it as a corporation too. I just think of like America as like the CEO of white supremacy, basically like they're the head honcho, like in charge of making sure that white supremacy is alive and well, patriarchal capitalism, like all Mm -hmm. stay alive and thriving. Like their job is to keep the company up and running. Yes. Um, and, and just like you said, under the guise of other words, you exactly. know, capitalism and corporate. Yeah, like the white supremacy is those things. It's white just, supremacy is those things. And people don't yes. get like without white supremacy, none of these other systems would exist either. Because like the whole point of that is to separate everybody who's not white and other them and then make them fight amongst each other so that they don't fight back against white supremacy. Right. And affirmative action wouldn't be a thing to piss people off with promotions and access into mm-hmm. businesses and schools if 
hello, white supremacy was never a thing anyway. Exactly. We, 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 have to and we wouldn't have to do all of those, like, it all of these just, fake, like, let's yes. be, you know, let's diverse be inclusive. kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so now that's what, I, that's what I think of it. And I, um, I, I love using, like, white supremacist patriarchal capitalism just as a, just one word um, to describe anything American. And um, that's just kind of, like, my perception of it now. Which really isn't that far off from how I perceived it as a kid because I always just thought it was weird. I was like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why my parents are so like, oh, the American dream. And like, it's a very immigrant mentality to be like, we made it. And so therefore, there's no problems here because we live, um, you know, like we managed to get out of our debt and like managed to raise our three kids and like managed to live in a nice neighborhood this great and, place that gave us these great things yeah that exactly we and it have. did give them great things but i always remind them like you didn't get those great things because the system was built for you to get them you mm-hmm. are an exception yes you overcame the boundaries literally like, put in you place did so that it you didn't yes. because you happened to get those opportunities and like because you worked hard and like you guys are good people basically mm-hmm. um but like you just like they just got lucky it's yeah. just not like that for most people. Um, and it was funny because I was talking to my dad the other day and he was saying, um, he was like, yeah, you know, like, I'm glad I came here, but I always think about how my life would be so different if after I graduated from college, I went back to India. He was like, I would be a millionaire. Like having a U.S. education, being in India, he, I don't agree with the caste system, obviously, but my dad is of like the Brahmin caste, which is the priest caste. Mm-hmm. So like being part of that, he has the freedom to marry anyone he wants which is why like he was able to marry outside of his race Mm -hmm. um and so he could have gone back to india and really been like a vp and like owned a company and like made lots of money um and that's what all of his like cousins and stuff do and he just didn't decide to go down that route but i'm like wow it would have been really different and he's like yeah i'll always be a second class citizen here like no matter how long he's lived here longer than he ever lived in india and isn't that interesting i'll always be a second class citizen in america but I could go to India and be a first class citizen, but have my moral compass exactly. be attacked on a daily basis. And know that your children, your three daughters, are not are not happy. It's like, I don't know, it's just weird. I always think about, wow, that bubble. Like, I loved my childhood. I feel so blessed that I yeah. got to basically have the freedom to run around a military yeah, base too. and live like a super American suburb life of like summers with my friends and enjoying school and all of that. And then I came to college and I was like, wow, you got me fucked yeah, up. The world like, is so different than what I knew when I was a kid. But it's so funny because like, I, I kind of like, even now I tell my mom this, that I'm like, I kind of wish you hadn't raised us in the suburbs with white people because I feel so, I, I've gone back to the Dominican Republic so many times. I've been there like 12 or 13 times. I feel very connected to it and like my people there, but I didn't know Dominican Americans and so like the nuances of being like in this country and being a mixed person like they get it because they're all mixed and so i always tell her i'm like i feel like if we had just stayed in jersey we would have you know not felt this huge culture shock when we went to college because me and my sister both went to college in the bay area right and it was just like a huge culture shock of like yeah we always knew we were different but now like we're finally meeting people who also feel the same way and it was so weird because we'd never had that before (laughs) like I could only imagine what it's like going to the college we went to and actually being in black years, being in a black organization or like black yeah. student union. 
I'm like really regretful that that wasn't the route I took. I kind of am too. Foot on campus, I feel like I really put myself in a worse off position. But for, we were talking you know, about like you always go back to kind of what you're familiar with and having been raised around like more conservative people, like mostly like white people and like maybe some Asian people and some Latinos. Like mm-hmm. I had a moment where I felt like SJSU were more comfortable for us. Yeah, and I had that moment where I felt like I'm not black enough to be a part of the black community that is established because like the first probate I went to, I went to with our sorority sisters, like a group of like, you know, five white girls and like a few Mexican and Asian girls that are very white passing, like Mm -hmm. just because they wanted to see what went down with like, you know, the black fraternities on campus. Whereas for me, I'm like, I know this is my culture and my history. I know what a probate is. And I would have never had the opportunity to see this because I'm not even a part of the black community. Like my white sorority sisters had to tell me that this was happening. And I was like, dang, like do better. And then never did. It was like just this this tangible thing of like meeting black people on campus and them always asking me like, why aren't you at Black Student Union? Why don't we see you here? And I'm like, because I chose to join a PHC sorority and I just like told myself that that was my life here Mm -hmm. and that I wasn't even allowed to kind of like enter your space and I, I think hate that if that you I had that. entered that space, you would have felt a lot more welcome, even if you didn't yes. feel it at first, than you would have in like the situation we ended up in. Right. I because totally as long as you're upfront, and people know that not all Black people are raised in the Black community, mm-hmm. and so they would understand if you were like, you know what, guys, like y'all got to teach me something about our culture yeah. because I don't really know a lot about it. I'm sure they would have been like, "That's cool, KTZ. We got you." Right cool come 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 home for a little bit every week and then you can you know but then i i think as saying that to you right now i'm literally telling myself i would have been living a double life i feel like a little bit i think i would have put so much pressure on myself to like be as black as i could be with them Mm -hmm. and then not be too black in our sorority environment in that greek life world because but then i felt super black hanging out with the fraternity next door because right. they had black guys in the yeah. fraternity oh i always felt at home there right and it's like just more like, at home than we ever did in our sorority yes and i used to get called out like you spend more time at the fraternity next door than you're spending at your sorority and i'm like yeah because i'm around guys that act it's like i'm around black guys first of all who grew up in black environments or san diego whatever <laughs> and then you know we have italian and german and Asian guys who grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah. Like, Bay Area culture is all they know. Bay Area culture is also very different from anywhere else in California. Bay Area culture is literally an entire area that people don't even know exist. But Bay Area and culture is black culture. It's so let's black not get it twisted. <laughs> culture. Literally. Bay Area culture is black. And you guys, we talk about the culture shock here because when you grow up in an area where Asian people act black, when Asian people have a dialect that they speak, it's like Mm -hmm. their own form of Ebonics for themselves. It's the weirdest thing. I never expected to be around so many Asians that like identify themselves as like being a part of and slash creating a Bay Area culture. And I'm like, you you didn't, but you did, but- But they did. They did. And then it's like, I mean- I had to learn that about the Bay Area. I wasn't aware. If you think back and, and I just like, found out about this probably like in college where i realized that like all of the big revolutionary people that existed during the civil rights were not just black and that there was a lot of asians and mexicans fighting with them like the brown barrettes and like 
you know, um, indigenous people too. And so I learned all these things when I went to the Bay because like the Bay area really is the home of revolutionary epicenter. Yes. Yeah. People always just associate Oakland and Black Panthers and not exactly. much else, but so There's much so happens here. There. And not even just Black culture, but LGBTQ. Like yep. everyone knows about San Francisco. Everyone knows how important this city and this area was to that community and still mm -hmm. is. I mean, people still, still is, flee yeah. their homes all over the world to end up in San Francisco or New York, like the two most accepting mm -hmm. places for the LGBTQ plus community. So it's like, I get it. But you know what's interesting? I don't know how you feel about this. I mean, I know you always say you feel like you need to go back to, you know, Jersey, New York, like mm -hmm. you need to spend some time there. And now that I've been in the Bay Area, I always say I, I need to end up in Dallas. Like I know I'm supposed to be back home. Like that's where I'm meant to be at some point. But I find it really hard to leave this area and this culture. Like I find it really hard to not be a part of the Bay Area mm -hmm. because people are like, I want to go back home to L.A. I'm like, screw L.A. What does L.A. offer me? Like, if I'm not in Compton and in Inglewood, if I'm not in those communities where I'm actually around people that know what I'm going through on a daily basis. And I think that's why I'm gravitating so much to, like, not wanting to leave here. Everyone's like, why would you stay in this yeah. gentrified area that costs double what it did when you got here? I mean, it's it's and it's just because I don't like where am I going to go where I'm going to yeah. feel I go to Atlanta. Nah, I'm, <laughs> I kind of think good. about going to Atlanta, to be honest. Girl, I would love to go for vacations. I will go visit New Orleans and Atlanta as much as I can. But to live, that's sea, and that's yeah. like, mm. I don't know. Well, the thing for me is um, I never wanted to move to California. And even as long as I've lived here, I've never liked California. I never thought that I fit in in California. I know I sound like okay. I'm from California. Yeah. <laughs> we have our Valley Girl thing going on exactly. you now. But that's just because of, the, like we said, the environment we were a hundred and I always I did really like the Bay Area but the thing about the Bay is that because there's so many Asians and because all of the Latinos there are Mexican and this is to this is true in all of California I don't fit in with either of those groups yes. and so for me New York is such an important place because, because that's where that is my where your Latinos are. come from literally yeah like, and so, I don't know anyone who can think of New York and not think about Dominican of Dominicans caribbean like yeah this is your home in america like this is your exactly. and also you know? like the the black people that i also identify really strongly with have always been like west indians too and so for me being here and knowing that i'm asian and that i'm latino but people saying oh you speak spanish weird and so i lost my spanish because mexicans thought that i spoke weird and pretended to understand what i did what i was saying and then like having asians be like oh but like you're not really Asian like you're so sassy like you're so um like honest and opinionated and stuff and not really accepting that so even though like all the groups that I'm technically from live here I just have never felt at home in California and I also think California is like really awesome shit of like we want to be progressive but they're not yes okay yeah we can dive into that a little bit before we end this with you guys because honestly California is on some ho-ass shit as a state. <laughs> California wants you to think that, like, Hollywood and San Francisco are the only two places to be and everywhere else is, like, just no man's land and a free-for-all and just you're on your own. Which, granted, but like, most of California is agriculture. So if you drive through the middle of California, it is no man's land. And there's it's farms. mostly Mexican people in the fields there and, yes. then, like, white racist people who hate the Mexican people. Yes, and California's been going through it re literally since COVID's happening because we're now having a problem with Orange County mm -hmm. specifically, and everyone knows Orange County is the Republican 
capital of California. It's the only area in California where people are proud to rep the fact that they rep the Republican Party. And yeah. these people have been on a rampage for the last, like, month, honestly, since protesting has it's really been a picked up. Months, yeah. And, like, they're, the, they're referred to as the Florida of California. And so it's so weird because I grew up in L.A. County where everything kind of went, you know. I lived in an area where skinheads were popular, but I was never in an environment to associate with them. So mm-hmm. I just out of sight, out of mind kind of a thing. And then you come here to the Bay and you're just like, everybody acts like they're so freeing in the Bay. And then when you open your eyes, you're like, no, there's racist people everywhere throughout the Bay Area. And then you think about the gentrification that's happened here. Like Maya and I have literally watched San Jose go from this like interesting city that wasn't as developed, like it was developed, but it definitely had its parts where they still, you know, they were untouched. Like I lived in Eastside the last two years that I was there. And you can Mm -hmm. see very clearly that it's so segregated in San Jose. Yes, like because the east there's side like of one San neighborhood Jose. that's Ooh. super there's one neighborhood that's just like the the wealthiest people in the entire Evergreen. world live there. Yes. Evergreen. And then I lived in Eastside where everyone mm-hmm. is like a Vietnamese or a Mexican immigrant. And yes. I was like this people would always be like, "Oh, like you live in the hood." Like, "Oh, you live in like the bad part of San Jose." And I was like, "The fuck you mean? Like these my peeps. I don't like I feel Girl. just fine in this area." Yes. I lived in a house in Evergreen and you had to drive through East San Jose. Like it's still technically East San Jose, but because you're in this neighborhood in the hills, the the hills of the freaking, you know, near Mount Hamilton, mm-hmm. it's like this is where the doctors and the lawyers and the tech giants are living at yep. with their families. But I had to drive through East Side San Jose where the immigrants' businesses are flourishing. I've got pho options to my right and taquerias to my left and dry cleaners and laundromats galore. And as soon as I cross over Capitol Expressway, it's like a whole new world. And it's just the weirdest thing. And like, I used to feel so weird. I loved that house. It was a great home and it was in a decent neighborhood, but it was in a neighborhood where it was like, we knew we didn't belong in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the other homeowners knew we didn't belong in this neighborhood. They clearly knew we were students who were renting, who just like got a really good opportunity and we were treated as such. It was literally like, you can't park your car here on the street. And I'm like, do you not understand a street is a public space and you don't own any part of the street? Like I have to park on my street. I don't know, it's just weird to think about. Like California as a whole is the weirdest place. Yeah. It is. It's really weird. And also, like, the thing that I find about the Bay Area is that all the white people that have come in and gentrified the space want to, like, do this performative, oh, but, like, I recycle and I drink I turmeric lattes and, you know, I work in I go hiking at the dish in Alto. <laughs> yeah, like, they do all this performative bullshit where they're like, oh, but I'm progressive. And I'm like, first of all, Hippie culture is all stolen from India. You stole my entire culture and gentrified it. Facts. And then brought it to Santa Cruz and San Francisco. (laughs) Second of all, like, (laughs) you pushed all the black people out of these neighborhoods. So how are you going to say that you're, like, some progressive person when you've come into a historically black area and Mexican area, like, literally the home of, like, the Chicano movement and, like, the home of immigrants' rights um, and, like, agricultural reform? And you've, like, kicked all these people out of homes that they've been in for decades. And then you're going to, like, come and take their culture and be like, oh, but I'm progressive and, like, I'm trying to help you. And I worked a nonprofit in the Bay for the past year. And nonprofit, literally the entire 
system is built upon oppression. You couldn't yes. have your job in nonprofit if it wasn't yes. for the oppression of my people. Yes. And then I ended up being one of the five people of color in the whole organization. So, and that's how most nonprofits are. Like, if you actually mm-hmm. talk to people who work in, like, big foundations that have all the Very money. insecure-esque of yeah, we got like, y'all. <laughs> exactly. I have lived Issa Ray's life. Yes. I really have. Issa D, sorry. Issa D is her yeah. name on the show. Um, yes. Yeah, I've literally lived that entire life. Um, so, yeah, it's just very interesting, the dynamics there. Um, but I'm just going to close this out with a little quote. So I have a quote from Asada Shakur's autobiography, which I've been reading. It's very good. Highly recommend. So she says this, um, the schools we go to are reflections of the society that created them. Nobody is going to give you the education you need to overthrow them. Nobody is going to teach you your true history, teach you your true heroes. If they know that that knowledge will help set you free. Schools in America are interested in brainwashing people with Americanism, giving them a little bit of education and training them in skills needed to fill the positions the capital system requires. As long as we expect America's schools to educate us, we will remain ignorant. It's the perfect quote for this podcast, you guys. Um, That's why we allowed ourselves to kind of talk the way we did with our dialogue so you could kind of see where we're coming from, our perspectives and our backgrounds and why we think how we think. And that quote perfectly sums up, I think, why we're coming from where we're coming from. Exactly. Um, We've both been taught certain things, different things, same things. You know, Maya is really great in her research and her education of herself and like, putting out into the world all these resources that people need to know about and I just use my voice for what it is I will talk and I don't care what you think about Mm -hmm. what I have to say because I know it needs to be said and I know even if I'm targeting just one person the other 10 of you that are hearing it probably needed to hear it and it's going to give you five minutes of private time to think about it before you go back to your normal life which is fine but I just want to engage in conversation and like together me and Maya we're just really passionate about having this space not just for women not just for women of color but like this needs to be happening on a daily basis everywhere in America and the fact that it's not and it's still such a minority is really aggravating yeah and you know we we grew up with like majority white people and so that's probably Mm -hmm. like the majority of the followers that we have like on social media and things like that and Mm -hmm. so it really is kind of like we don't have to do this free labor but we want to do this as kind of just a space for us to get these things off our chest and discuss with each other like in a safe space um so we hope you enjoy and thanks so much for listening we will definitely be super more organized and probably a little bit more to the point but also we love to talk to each other we just i don't know we have really great conversations so thank you guys for joining us and yeah, we'll see you guys soon. We're going to have more episodes for you guys. We hope you guys stick along for the ride. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. So we've got to talk about, we'll definitely be back with more episodes and we can't wait to get into it in the future.